0: Oh no, there's another squad attacking. Welcome to the Third Party Podcast, your weekly Apex Legends podcast brought to you by Crossover Media. I'm your host, Shay, joined by my co-host, Henry. Henry, how's it going today?
1: It's going really good, you know, back in the saddle, excited for this episode. Uh, It's definitely been a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Apex, and I'm happy to be back.
0: Is it just me, or has the gap between this week and last week felt like a little bit longer than usual? It
1: felt long. I, I went out of town. We kind had of finals, out of the, mm-hmm. the swing of things, so it definitely feels like it's been a while for me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to be back. Before we get into the episode, though, make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Third Party Pod. Sub to us on YouTube, Third Party Pod. We stream weekly 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific times on Thursdays. Today, we're going to be covering news. A little bit of a ranked reminder about World's Edge. a legend Concept, welcome to the club and wrapping up with some questions. Before we do any of that though, let's dive into some reviews. First review is
1: coming from Brant. Best podcast ever. This podcast helped me from being a Silver One player to a Platinum player. This podcast has taught me so much. I started in Season 5 and I became Platinum this season after I found y'all. Thank you for the help.
0: I love it. I think we've been getting a couple of these lately with people saying our advice has helped them grind and grow in the rank scene. And that means a lot because we, I think we spend a lot of time on rank compared to a lot of uh, creators. Next review coming from UEN. This pod is pog. Sorry for the cheesy joke. I couldn't resist. You probably have never heard of a person named Staycation. You should try to get him on. It would be so cool to see both of my favorite content creators on one pod.
1: Thank you for the review. Um, Well, believe it or not, we have heard of Staycation.
0: Staycation is my personal favorite Apex YouTuber. Uh that uh, that's a bold statement cuz I love a lot of people.
1: He's really really good. I think we both like him. Uh he puts out great content. We've been trying to, you mm-hmm. know, reach out to him and I guess take this opportunity to just say if anybody's listening and they'd like us to bring on a guest, the best way that you can make that happen is at them on Twitter. Mm -hmm. If you at them and at us and try to make a connection and Mm -hmm. get some social pressure going on, (laughs) uh, that is really going to help because we're in everybody's DMs all Mm -hmm. the time. And if you want us to interview somebody or invite them on the show,
0: Mm -hmm. at them. Yeah. And we love the thoughts on the interviews. We're hoping to have Daniel back on, hoping to have Simply Ashton back on, two guys that we already interviewed. If you haven't seen those yet, check them out. But absolutely amazing guys. Great interviews. We enjoy talking with people uh, about Apex, and some of these guys are serious, serious pros, and that makes it great. Before we get into the news, though, we got a quick little update to share.
1: Yeah, so big news. We are expanding our show out of Shay's bedroom and (laughs) working on building out a studio in our apartment living room. Uh, We've just been saving every penny from the podcast over the last six months and are budgeting the incredible cost of soundproofing, cameras, lighting, desks, and more in order to bring the podcast to YouTube. The podcast will continue to be posted on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, but to expand our audience, we feel the best way to do so is by adding video and posting the podcast to a search engine like YouTube.
0: Video Pod's been a goal for a long time, and we would really like to do it the best we can. If you want to help us achieve this goal, uh, please take a look at our Patreon page. Uh, anything you can support us with is appreciated, whether it's a donation or maybe some equipment you have lying around your house that we can hopefully put to good use. Uh, any person that donates or joins the Patreon will have their names and all our future YouTube video credits, exclusive access to the first Video Pod that we create, and we'll probably figure out a way to get some games in as well, if you can figure out how to set anything aside for us we just would appreciate it so much we're putting every dollar we have in here right now so thanks so much we're looking forward to taking the third party to the next level with that though let's dive into the news first piece of news we got no changes coming to rev next season so this is from daniel klein via reddit and i'm just going to read out the quote that he wrote i think it says it best more than me ad-libbing it Uh, His playstyle is what we call sharp, as in success and failure are keenly felt, and when his tactical and ultimate work, they work so well they make the enemy more frustrated than they make Rev and his team happy. That's a dangerous pattern. He absolutely should be getting buffs, but we didn't have the time to find the right buffs.
1: I think this is a very, very interesting quote. It is exactly in line with what Daniel was telling us. Mm -hmm. Um, He didn't have any ideas on how to change or buff Revenant, and frankly, we didn't and still don't. Yeah. Um, he was pretty much of the mindset that the ultimate is good. It's very powerful, but it does take that team coordination. Mm-hmm. Passive, fine. Changing that in any way is not going to you know, substantially increase his win rate from yeah. being the second worst in the game. So it has to do with the tactical. And he said some really interesting things about the tactical. I think that it's going to take a, quite a big change. Is rework the
0: right word, you think? I think probably. Yeah, it's interesting. If you don't know who Daniel is, Daniel Klein's lead game designer, Apex Legends. We did an interview with him kind of talking about this. Go check out that episode. It'll be in the description. I think that talking Rev is one of the most controversial topics in Apex. And I think it's going to be brought back to the forefront of our minds uh, with our transition back to World's Edge, which is something we'll talk about in a little bit here. Uh, But he dominated a lot of the last split from a public perception uh in those higher lobbies and so he is such an interesting character in that daniel hit it perfectly so frustrating and it really doesn't you know give a feeling of satisfaction to the actual revenant player themselves sometimes so very interesting anything else
1: we went into it in depth mm-hmm. on the interview. Mm-hmm. Like I have a lot more to say, but I feel like I'd just be repeating myself.
0: Yeah, and we'll hopefully we'll get changes at some point, and we'll be able to react accordingly. Next piece of news: uh, Daniel Klein again response to a Rampart bump buff request. Question was from the Reddit user Grookie Gang four eight four asking about Rampart's passive and if it would ever receive a buff. They also threw out some ideas like Rampart having immediate access to all hop ups for guns, or having the ability to carry over. The same passive to snipers. Daniel's response uh, was simply that he reiterated that Rampart's passive will stay LMG focused and that there is still room for power in the kit, but there will never be a character defining passive for Rampart. It's not going to be the lifeline passive where the main portion of her kit is the passive. And this is kind of interesting. I think there's going to be a change to Rampart coming very soon from the sounds of it. I'm excited to see what they do. You have any reactions to this or thoughts on what changes that could come?
1: You know, Rampart, in my opinion, is one of the most unique legends in the game. I just think that the playstyle is so incredibly different than anybody else. Um, you know, we've gone into detail about Rampart's kit and our Mastering the Legends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that passive may not, you know, seem like it's a big deal. The truth of the matter is it isn't, but that reload uh, buff to the LMGs makes it so that it's the same time as assault rifles. Mm -hmm. So your LMG reloads are the same as your R-301 reloads, and that's pretty cool. So it's like that gives you some flexibility, but then you still have all the other negatives of LMGs plus having a lot of ammo. So it's interesting. It's an interesting passive. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to see if that's going to be the focus of adding more power to the passive or what's going to go on with rampart
0: yeah if it's the tactical or if it's the old or something like that there were some other comments on this uh, response and one that was kind of interesting was just like rampart is in a place where she is effective in such a certain situation how do you really add the power to her to be able to get into those situations and i think that's kind of the key focus at least for making changes with her
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Next piece of news. Legendary skins for Loba and Bangalore are going to be in the next collection event. This is coming from a designer and dev courtesy of the YouTuber Watergothem. Great YouTuber. Check him out if you can. Great video. Show some pictures. Bangalore and Loba.
1: You know, they're they're kind of in need of some skins. Mm-hmm. So this is a great bone. I'm looking forward to seeing them. Um it should be good. I've Personally, I've been very happy with the skins that have been coming out recently, mm-hmm. um, and so I think it's on a good trend, um, but that's all up for discussion.
0: Definitely. Last piece of news is potentially one of the biggest pieces of news Apex has ever had. The streamer Lou, Lou Streams, has become the first player ever to hit 100,000 ranked points to be the number one pred, obviously. But let me repeat that again. 100,000 ranked points. Absolutely insane. Big congratulations. I don't know what to say. There's no way to put it in a good enough perspective for people to understand how massive 100,000 is.
1: It's pretty insane. So I guess to try, you know, generally if you're platinum, mm-hmm. you're going to have about six to 7,000 ranked points. Yeah. If you're master, you need 10,000, mm-hmm. Lou here has 100,000. Most Predators have about 15,000. Mm-hmm. To put it in perspective, if Lou doesn't play for the next 21 seasons, Lou will still be a master in the ranked. If the reset works how we think it works yeah. at the Predator level. I'm not a pred, so I don't really know uh, <laughs> how, how that works. RP but essentially, there. if he's getting deducted, ranked points is just a crazy amount. I don't even, and we tried to do the math on like how, how much many time wins per yeah. hour. Like if Lou was playing for 12 hours a day, every single day of the whole split, mm-hmm. they'd have to win more than one game per hour and not go negative ever.
0: So that's pretty crazy. Insane. Congratulations, Lou, if you're listening. For some reason, we'll have you on the show anytime to talk about this feat. It is absolutely insane. With that, though, let's get into the main topic of the day and give a little bit of a World's Edge ranked reminder. You know, we have the end of the first split uh, on Olympus. It's time for us to really shift our focus back to World's Edge for our ranked grinders. It's a fan favorite map is returning for the second half of the season. And normally in the past, we have not done these reminder episodes, but because of the pretty big difference between the playstyles on Olympus and World's Edge made us feel like maybe we should talk about this map again to give you guys a little bit of a reminder but before we dive deep into our favorite ranked drops on World's Edge let's break down a bit some of the differences between Olympus and World's Edge just in general playstyle because when we were looking at it it's very different it's very very different it's incredibly
1: different one of the um bonus episode topics that we do for our patrons is we do kind of very in-depth breakdowns of the maps and positioning and rotations, late game, early game, all sorts of routes. And when we were doing that this season for Olympus, we were like, wow, a lot of the things that we usually analyze are entirely different mm-hmm. or aren't even there. Um and so we definitely believe that Olympus and World's Edge are extremely different. And so, some like, just to go into some of them, World's Edge, there are power positions. Define Everywhere. power
0: positions for the fans that aren't on the Patreon podcast because we don't talk about it as much on the regular pod. Great
1: point. So, a power position is a term that we've kind of coined to mean a uh, position normally that has high ground. Mm-hmm. Um, you have great visibility and it's also easy to defend. So Mm -hmm. that means you don't have, you know, five or six points of entry. You have maybe two or three. Um, It is hard to get to. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of have time to see if somebody is trying to take the position away from you. Um, And a power position is normally going to be somewhere that if you're there in a late game, you have a very, very, very high chance of winning. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot about. Uh, positioning and having strategy and thinking ahead so that you can set yourself up to win games and have the advantage and have the information Mm -hmm. to execute.
0: Definitely. And kind of compare that to Olympus. And Olympus is very much the open, flat, manufactured, man-made terrain, which is very cool, very different. I want to be clear that we're not saying anything negative about Olympus or World's Edge in this entire conversation we're going to have. They're just different i think is the best way to put it but because of this man-made sharp lines style map they're just gave the developers so much of an opportunity to say how can we make a game that is in a way as even as possible is do you think even is the a fair word to use
1: it definitely does to me i feel that olympus is not supposed to be weighted on one side or another yeah Um, To take an example of Hammond Labs, there are some high ground points all over there. You Mm -hmm. have kind of upper Hammond and then you have the facility, the
0: rooftop of that. Both of
1: those you could say, oh, those are
0: high ground. And the assumption is that would be a power position because it's so high up.
1: But you would be wrong Mm -hmm. because you are essentially on one of the most exposed places on the map. You have six, seven different points of entry if you don't take into account Horizon or Pathfinder. And that is just making you very vulnerable. So those kind of things are way more defined on World's Edge than on Olympus. And so how we feel about Olympus is you can kind of mess around Mm -hmm. and play aggressive and go whichever route you want. World's Edge, you have to kind of be a little bit more planned out, maybe a little more patient and maybe prioritizing rotating over third party.
0: And part of that is because with Olympus, you have, in general, we believe, easier rotations. And two of the biggest things to just point to that reinforce this are the introductions of the Trident and the Phase Runner. Two absolutely insane rotation tools talk about teleporting from one side of the map to the other and having a car that can go faster than any other legend by a pretty significant margin. And we have found that it is a legit tool that is used in all facets of play, including ranked two rotate incredibly fast i was playing some ranked games the other day on the last couple of days of olympus and i dropped uh, elysium or l how we like to call it and shrank completely on the other side of the map we grabbed the trident and just 100% booked it completely to the other side of the map and got there within ring one that's not something that's even possible on world's edge if you drop near the uh bloodhound trials and the map is going to shrink over on the rocket you're playing Edge that game pretty much.
1: Essentially, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing what the potential is of the Trident's. And one assumption that I made pretty early on is that, okay, we're on Olympus now for season seven at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's trying out these Trident's. It's all great. It's an amazing tool. I'm really impressed with how they work. When we go back to World's Edge, the game is going to feel. Like slow motion.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: And so I'm curious if anybody uh, is maybe feeling a little off or maybe they can validate that assumption. Um, Like go ahead and leave us a comment or message Mm -hmm. us uh, anywhere you can. But the Triadence being on Olympus and not World's Edge, I think is a very big change. And like we were saying, it just changes how you rotate.
0: Yeah. Another one of the differences between these two maps are the POIs. World's Edge, the POIs are, in general, a bit smaller, and there is a lot of value in the unnamed POIs on World's Edge. In comparison, on Olympus, we've talked about how there's less POIs, but the POIs are a lot larger, and the unnamed kind of points of interest around the map really don't offer the same amount of loot as World's Edge does. And let's talk about one POI in general before we go to the rest of them to kind of give an example of the difference between those maps, and that's Fragment. Fragment is the hot drop on World's Edge. And in our opinion, at least, we haven't found an area that even compares to it on Olympus from a drop perspective. What do you have maybe some thoughts on Fragment?
1: Yeah, so Fragment is, you know, center of the map. There's a decent amount of loot there. A lot of teams go there, um, even in ranked uh, at most levels. Um, You know, the difference I see with Olympus is that the loot concentration mm-hmm. is in fewer areas and those areas are larger. So you don't really have a hot drop uh, as serious as Fragment. You have a lot of people that drop Hammond, a lot of people that drop Bonsai, a lot of people that mm-hmm. drop Oasis, the States, all another sorts popular of one, yeah. like. There are a lot of, you could kind of say, hot drops, but essentially there's less teams there because it's not as concentrated and there's a lot of loot spread out to those POIs that encourage people to go there. I just think from a loop perspective, the maps couldn't be more different. They're kind of, in my eyes, they're kind of opposite. They are.
0: I mean, the unnamed POIs and the value that those have on World's Edge seriously impact things because it makes it so teams can actually drop not contested. And that is not something that happens often on Olympus. You're going to be contested a lot of the time, no matter where you drop on Olympus, just from a POI perspective. And that changes the rank strategy, the can I drop here, get a beacon, rotate early? In Olympus, you're going to be fighting early, quite often fighting for your loot. And okay. that is something that adds a lot of variance into the rank grind.
1: And to be perfectly honest, we are not saying that one map is better than the other. We're really just saying that it's mm-hmm. different. And with this specific point, it affects the pace of play. So you're going to be going into Olympus maybe having more fun, maybe fighting more mm-hmm. world's edge is going to be slower. And so a lot of people seem to think that, okay, that leans towards, uh, maybe a healthier ranked scene or a more consistent ranked points mm-hmm. per game. Um, I think I'd probably agree with that, but kill points also matter. So, you know, we just got off of a uh, ranked split in Olympus and everything seemed to work fine. You know, people mm-hmm. adapted a lot easier than I thought. Um, I didn't really hear a lot of people um complaining that Olympus wasn't built for ranked. Yeah. You know, people took all these radical changes of the loot distribution, the difference of POIs, the triadents, everything and pretty much r- ran well, with it. Ran with it. Yeah. It went really good. So they're different, one's not better than the other, but you should definitely consider those differences uh when you're
0: playing. Yeah. I would like to say I'm excited for competitive play on olympus i'm excited to see how that works and how the pros play and if it's going to be uh, drastically different like some people are assuming it's going to be uh next kind of difference you got cargo bots and loot vaults on world's edge kind of talking about that loot distribution i don't think we need to hammer this point home too hard but cargo bots control of your drop if you're you know at those upper levels you're hitting those golds and getting something that is very impactful to your game most of the time and loot vaults being able to set up a team and just the attention they play on the map and there's really not that kind of thing on olympus that's all in the pois like i was saying
1: it's a pretty dang cool feature you know now playing without them uh for a split on olympus definitely like the idea of loot vaults not necessarily just for the high tier loot Mm -hmm. but also just from the positioning rotating yeah um, you know that that is a you know, potential i might see a team coin. there or something yeah. like that yeah um it's, it's a very cool element to have in the game that i like and you know not having cargo bots is another thing that um i think serves the player like by having them on world's edge mm-hmm. you, know, you can get more consistently high loot um based off of i guess your skill If you consider timing those skills.
0: And then I guess the last difference we'll cover, at least in this episode, is the difference in kind of the buildings. And Olympus has those smaller, you know, modular buildings without the doors. And door play is a very important thing in ranked from a nades perspective, fencing it up, defense with caustic. And while it might seem unimportant, the ability to play the door with those defensive legends actually has a pretty big impact just in general on how. You know, worlds Edge just played.
1: This is an incredibly understated difference in the maps. I, again, don't know why people aren't talking more (laughs) about this because I hope everyone can have a a mental picture in their head, but it's pretty much the two entrance, modular, they're kind of curvy uh, buildings. They're everywhere. No doors. They're everywhere. Mm -hmm. Pretty much every single POI. Um, They're cool. But not having doors just completely changes the legends and the play style that you're going to have. You don't really feel safe mm-hmm. in those buildings, and legends cannot easily defend them. So, mm-hmm. big, big difference, and especially different when you compare it directly with World's Edge and how that's going to play.
0: Yeah. Before we talk about uh, the legends and the power positions, we're going to kind of go over at least our... Number one, favorite drop on World's Edge for Ranked. Hopefully it'll still be the same. You know, maybe some things will change or something. Uh, But let's start at number one, Survey Camp. So
1: this location was introduced back in season four, and I think got the whole community really excited Mm -hmm. because it was sold as a location with weapon racks. And we thought that this was massive. When it was first released on trailer, Um, because we thought it was going to kind of be like the LTM Deja Loot, Mm -hmm. which I think that was just a fascinating mode. Um, (laughs) Such a crazy mode. Every single game uh, you could get, you knew exactly where the loot was going to be, so Mm -hmm. game after game you kind of plan on what's going to be where. We thought that it was going to be pretty much just like this at survey camp, that Mm -hmm. if you won an R301, there was going to be one there, and you could get it, and it would just be totally stocked, like an IMC camp in Titanfall, mm-hmm. like very recognizable. That's not really said, the case. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's not really the case. And the presence of having weapon racks at uh, survey camp is pretty cool. So even though it's not exactly that, they're random. They're still important. They're pretty cool. So you have four weapon racks, four buildings, two vans, and ten supply bins here. And when you just think about that, that's a really excellent supply of loot for an early loadout for an entire squad. We feel like we can go there, get, you know, a couple pairs of blue armor, get two weapons, and be able to take a fight pretty early on. Mm -hmm.
0: And this place often, for some reason, is uncontested. At least last time we were playing ranked here, for some reason teams did not vibe with survey camp and on top of that loot henry was talking about there's also a cargo bot that circles around there every couple of games and we just spoke to the importance of those and getting that early piece of gold loot but then potentially our favorite thing about survey camp is rotating you know our normal rotation out of survey camp is to head towards refinery take that early fight before sending it into skyhook um you know, we like to pick up the early RP this way, but the reason we love this drop so much is there's so many options out of it. The long zip line can take you into the tunnels and that'll send you the skyhook. You can walk it towards the train station into the train yard area to get the early power positions. It's really just any direction you want to go. Slide in the epi, slide straight in the fragment. It's open, escapable. You can go anywhere you want. You want to talk maybe a little bit about why we like dropping on this side of the map potentially as well.
1: Yeah, so dropping on the north side of the map, we believe is better. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can take that with a grain of salt um, because we also are kind of biased. We like Sorting Factory a lot. We like Lava City. But if you do drop on the northeastern side of the map, it's really nice because there are no extreme choke points between the perimeter where you're at at Survey Camp, for example, Mm -hmm. and West and East Fragment. And just think about that for a minute and Mm -hmm. you think about, okay, what is the first ring going to be? Chances are it's going to be at least close to West and East Fragment because Mm -hmm. it's the center of the map. And so getting there, you're going to have such an easier time because you're not going to have to go through any of the mountain choke points. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be in any sticky situations because. That whole northeastern side of the map is relatively open.
0: Yeah. And then even if it pulls towards Skyhook and Trials, that's a often uncontested rotation up through those tunnels in the north, and they just added more loot and more cover to those t- uh, tunnels. And so really one of the most common rotations out of there is not actually that bad. Like, you know, heading towards Train Yard, heading towards Lava Fissure, you're, a Lava Fissure Shrink is your worst case situation if you're dropping at Survey Camp just because you're going through Fragment and Choke Points at that point. Despite that though, it's just like this drop offers so many advantages over a lot of other places on the map for ranked.
1: Totally. it just It's kind of a high level assumption, but just the location on the map is also another positive in our eyes uh, for Survey Camp.
0: And if you really want to hear our other, you know, four drop locations, we've got four in total, including Survey Camp, on our Patreon episode. Go check it out. Great spot over there. Survey Camp's number one, though. We wanted to give you guys that little tidbit of information.
1: It's a really good tip. And honestly, I'm kind of scared to be giving it away because, like you said, it's usually uncontested. So, Yeah, please don't kill us. We're pros though at Survey Camp. We know how to loot it. We know the angles. So Mm -hmm. feel free to come at us. Um, I'd love it if more people contested us there.
0: Let's talk now a bit about power positions on this map. You know, we've done a deep dive on this in the past. So we just want to give you guys, like we said, a quick reminder. And we're going to be talking about the top tier power positions. We broke it down into our S, S, you know, keep going A, all that on the Patreon episode, but we're going to share here the S plus and the S tier just so you guys kind of know, okay, if my zone looks like it's shrinking over there, this is where I need to be to win the game.
1: Exactly right. And just overall, World's Edge is a completely different like beast. Mm-hmm. It is substantially more urban than Olympus. And the reason that is, is there's just a lot more tall buildings Like you'd consider Fragment, Skyhook, Lava City. There's just a lot of tall buildings. And so being on top of these late game is really key. And, you know, it's hard to say which building exactly is best to be on top of, uh, you know, because you have some random shrinkage. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about the best power positions for late game, uh, we kind of have some broad areas. And like Shay said, we're just going to give away the creme de la creme, Mm -hmm. like the best spots that we think. Starting off with the S-plus tier, in our opinion, the most powerful power position
0: on World's Edge. Bloodhound Trials. It is so good. It it really is. If you get up here with your team, you're going to have vision on where everybody goes. And as you guys know, we like to run a Bloodhound on our team, which lets you scan right beneath you and tell you if anybody's coming up below you. But this is the ultimate height on the map in the game. Easy to defend. Two zip lines up, a jump tower in. Plus, then you know we got that circular area as well. I think this is one of the most powerful positions in the game itself, and we think it's the most powerful one on this map.
1: Yeah, it, it's pretty dang hard to contest somebody that gets there first, uh, just because mm-hmm. it is so high and the zip lines are so long that they're going to see you coming, mm-hmm. and they're probably going to kill you before you even get up there, mm-hmm. or you try to use the jump tower to get up there and you land and you just get lasered and Mastiff in the face.
0: Even if you get up there too sometimes, there's like that rock little area you can climb into and the team can hang out there. And so you mm-hmm. can get up there and be like, oh yeah, we took it. And then there's actually someone that's even a little bit higher than you are.
1: Yeah, so our like first priority is to get to Bloodhound Trials if that first ring uh, includes it in any way, just mm-hmm. because you can't risk losing bloodhound trials if that is going to be the end game Mm -hmm. just because it's pretty much a wrap if it's there if it shrinks on either side of it you know you still want to be there to be able to drop down and not be you know fighting down there with the riffraff
0: can you believe though that there used to not be like a bottom beneath this area that it used to just be a mountain with two zip lines up it
1: it's pretty crazy like now the ability to go through it and have the cool trials Mm -hmm. uh, is definitely a nice little perk um it's interesting how the public perception of the loot inside the 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 trials trials, is some people like i think get really lucky and say Mm -hmm. it's awesome and some people just say i never go there ever it's the worst we'd probably the latter on that front Maybe. I think we just get unlucky. I really do. It's kind of a lucky thing, but also it's risky mm-hmm. to do the trials. Very loud. Getting third party there is hard just because there's nowhere to go. If people drop down mm-hmm. uh, from up top, there's no warning at all. You know, you don't have a, a door that opens that would signal it. Mm-hmm. And if they even come through a door, there's prowlers everywhere. Like it can be really dangerous. So, as much as we say, bloodhound trials is the best. We don't really activate the Trials Mm -hmm. that much. But if it is uncontested, you're feeling good, maybe you have some Watson fences set up, I say go for it.
0: Definitely. Let's dive into the S tier now. Talk about these all real quick. I mean, S tier is still pretty, pretty dang good. We just needed to give Bloodhound Trials a little bit of a shout out to itself. But S tier, first one, there's a very big, huge center building in Skyhook, the huge circular one. When the games shrink on there, if you're up top in that position, you're going to be in that power position, controlling the game with your G7s.
1: It's really, really good to be up there with G7s, triple take. Um, It's a very strong power position. Um, The only real downside is, you know, for the same reason as Bloodhound, it's high, there's only a few zip lines that just go straight up, Mm -hmm. pretty easy to defend if you have a defensive legend of any sorts. Um, But also, you know, worst case scenario, it shrinks right on you and a team can be below you mm-hmm. all, you know, gassed up and mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but, you know, you have high ground, you have the upper hand. So mm-hmm. I say get on top of there early, hold it down, you know, put pressure on people. Try not to let them get under you. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they do, you know, always drop down. Definitely. So it's a good
0: late game spot. Next, you got the top of Epicenter, another great spot you know, we're going to say the top of things a lot because high ground's king in this game, especially on this map, but it's these places where there's not a lot of access to them. And we look at those spots as, wow, when you can defend it easily and see everything and laser people and control the area around you, you're going to be given a good shot to win because you're up here. And Epicenter is one of those spots.
1: Absolutely. So the, the tower in Epicenter only has two zip lines to it. Mm-hmm. It's great height. Um, You know, you have your back covered, so you really only have to look one direction, Mm -hmm. which is a really great uh, characteristic of a power (laughs) position. Um, On the other side, you know, you have a similar tower and thermal station, Mm -hmm. but there's no zip lines to it. You can only get there if you have a path or take the jump tower. Mm -hmm. That means it's pretty much a stronger power position, but it is 360. So you do have to look in every direction.
0: And the surrounding area is very high. And so while you feel up top and up high, you're going to get hit a lot early game. It's still on the extended list, sneak peek, but it's not in the S tier. Next, you have the train cars in the train yard. These were given a lot of change over the couple of seasons. They used to not have zip lines up to them. They used to be higher. Now they're a bit lower, and each one of them has zip lines and that's a pretty big change. But despite that, if you're up in these train cars at the end of games, uh, you're going to be in a pretty good situation to win. In general, high ground and getting it is going to be more valuable, which we'll dive into later. I was almost going to spoil some of the legend talk, but I'm not going to do that. We're getting to that in a second.
1: Yeah. I, even though there's been a lot of changes to these train cars. It's still a very good position because mm-hmm. you're hard to shoot at. You know, it's hard to actually get up there and contest it because if they have to the zip line all the way across, it's a very long zip line, easy to shoot them down. Um, and if they zip straight up, you know, if you have a caustic or a mastiff, like that's really not a concern. Um, so it's still a really good spot. It's been through some changes, mm-hmm. but. You bring your G7 up there, and I think you have a pretty good shot at getting the dub.
0: Definitely. The last S tier spot on this list are the silos in Overlook. Overlook is not your most common shrink, I think it's kind of fair to say. But when it does shrink here, there's always going to be a team on top of these silos, and that team normally has a pretty dang big advantage. And we've lost a couple of games just from not having a team comp that can get up there. And we've lost a couple of games because we couldn't get under there because we just got lasered by the people on top of there. It's a pretty powerful spot, hard to get to, incredibly hard to access. You either need the path, now the horizon, or we're taking a jump tower or something.
1: Yeah, I remember a, a end game there. I think we may have been streaming, but mm. we might not have been. But essentially, we had a, crypt, a random crypto on our team, and we did not get to the silos first. And there was a team up there, and. We ran out to I think a ring seven to try to get them off. Like we were just yeah, really we were struggling. Right on their own. They were mm-hmm. mating us. They were EMPing us. Like, and we wouldn't give up. And I think we we clutched the dub, but it made it really hard for us because mm-hmm. you can't really shoot
0: at them. Definitely remember if you want the extended list of our favorite spots to drop the best power positions in all things World's Edge. Check out the Patreon. Check out that list. Last thing though before we wrap this up is let's talk about legends and team comp because I don't think people really understand how big of a difference there's going to be in the legends that you can use and which legends are most effective on this map. And start off by talking about our absolute favorite thing in the entire game, a third party special.
1: Survey beacons. These are the most important thing on World's Edge. Because positioning is everything.
0: Mm -hmm. That's going to mean your crypto, your blood, and your path are going to be a lot more valuable than potentially on, you know, those are all great legends, but they just add a little bit more value on World's Edge than they potentially do on Olympus. And that's a big deal. Rotate early, rotate often, especially on World's Edge. Grab those survey beacons and you're going to be set up for success.
1: If you play one of those three legends, I just have to ask, please scan the beacon. A lot of people still aren't used to even scanning the beacons and you may not have felt like you needed to on Olympus. You really, really do need to. I'm kind of kidding, but I'm trying to drive this point across because Mm -hmm. it's very important. And positioning is just so valuable and getting that survey beacon you know, we've said in the past is the most powerful passive in the game for winning games because yes. it gets you that leg up for the end game and those final ring shrinks. So
0: Definitely. that's all I got to say in the same vein of positioning. What does that mean? That means when you get there, you want to stay there. And how do you do that? Costic and Watson, the defensive legends are a lot more viable Olympus very open not as much of a need and you're in danger a bit more with those rotations in the open when you don't have movement legends and so having Cossack and Watson on world's edge where you got a bit easier of a not a rotation from a you know practical standpoint but a bit easier of a position to control if you can get there throwing that defensive legend on top of that you're gonna have a very strong defense. We love getting into those S and S plus tier places with the Watson acrostic and locking it up.
1: Yeah, and you know, that being said, you know, we're talking about team composition. It's ranked. Play to your team strength. Mm-hmm. Please, you know, if at all possible, do not play ranked by yourself. Please find some teammates in our Discord. Join one of the clubs that we feature. Mm-hmm. It is gonna be in your best interest and you know if you have a team comp that's all aggressive you know wraith bloodhound Mm -hmm. wraith play into it that's great Mm -hmm. like do that and you can have success but these are our thoughts for you know just trying to have
0: solid success and
1: transition to world's edge
0: definitely and then the last thing high ground you know we have talked a lot about positioning today and how do you get there you have some legends that help you do it. Pathfinder, Zipline. Horizon, the tactical now. Octane, jump pad. That's a little bit of a hot take because I know some people aren't going to like it, but we are big fans of the Octane jump pad to get you in the high ground spots. But, I don't know. Yeah. Like,
1: I don't feel like I should have to defend it. I think Octane has a great jump pad. He does. Know, you got great height there. Mm-hmm. And with any of these three legends, if you're having a fight at Refinery, you need to get up top. Mm -hmm. Like high ground is a lot. And I think any of these are a good option. And if you're not running one of these, well, you need to really consider using one or use jump towers like crazy. Mm -hmm. Like even if you don't see anybody, you should be rotating with jump towers and landing on the highest point that you can. Like just mathematically, Mm -hmm. that's what you should be doing.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see how Horizon plays on this map. It's going to be really cool. in ranked specifically. We've already seen her a little bit in pubs, but in the ranked grind, is she going to be a top tier legend that's played by most teams, at least in the upper levels of ranked? It'll be cool to see. And then I guess actually maybe the last thing to throw in before we head into the next topic is Rev. Rev's a bit more powerful on World's Edge, not as much of an open space to cover when you're in the totem and such, which adds a bit of power. It's not going to be the same extreme that people were dealing with on Kings Canyon that a lot of people felt, but there's definitely a bit more viability in that rev ult on this map in certain areas. Totally. Before we get into a legend concept and the rest of our episode, here's a word from our sponsors. The Good Games Podcast is brought to you by Henry and Shay. Hopefully you like those two guys by now. From our success covering Apex Legends, we've sought out to create a new project talking about all good games. In all seriousness, if you want to hear Henry and I cover games from Rogue Company to Assassin's Creed, check out the link in the description to hear about all the new Good Games potential video podcast of Good Games coming soon.
1: Welcome back to the show. Now we're going to go into a listener-submitted legend concept. This is coming from Nature on the Discord, and it's a pretty cool idea.
0: Yeah, remember if you guys want your legend concept to be read out on the show, Best way to get us to see it is Discord. Patrons automatically get them on the show, but Discord, get them in there. Got a great community to kind of talk about it, go over it. Some people like to add lore, make adjustments and recommendations before they hit the show, uh, but I'm excited about this one. Do you want to read the lore or do you want me to hit the lore this time?
1: You can tell the story. I'll okay. get into the facts.
0: Name of the legend, Celestial. Celestial was a medical soldier in the Frontier War and often lost fellow soldiers because of the scarce medical supplies in her unit. When Celestial helped soldiers with wounds, she was often subject to enemy fire. To solve both of these problems, she developed a supersuit to make the most out of the scarce medical supplies and programmed the suit to give her extra protection while healing and a speed increase. She also added a small jet boost into the suit to gain repositioning and dominant fighting positions. She joined the games to bring remembrance and respect to the memory of her comrades in battle and preserve their legacy. I love legacy.
1: Very, very cool idea. You know, a lot of people have been maybe asking for another version of a medic, a
0: a support legend.
1: It's very interesting. It's a unique class, only has two legends in it right now in the support class. Um, You know, oftentimes I hear that people just aren't quite satisfied with Lifeline. Mm -hmm. And even though she has a really high pick rate, as we now know, Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting because a lot of people say, hey, I want to be a medic, I want to play support. And then I say, well, Lifeline is the best at that. By far. And people just aren't quite satisfied. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe having a concept uh, to give another perspective
0: could be a cool idea. Definitely. I like it. Let's dive into the abilities. Passive
1: thrill of the heal when healing the heals that celestial uses recharge or repair one quarter of their original value for teammates health or shield along with the normal value for celestial for example one shield battery recharges her purple armor while recharging 25 percent of her teammates empty purple armor
0: i really like this it's very very good but I think it's actually a really, really cool, unique idea on mm-hmm. a healing front. Like, it's not something I would have thought of, but I'm thinking about the power in a fight of popping a bat and then your teammates gain in that cell potentially being really, really good.
1: It is a very, very good passive in a game of, you know, fractions of seconds and inches. Mm-hmm. This is big time, you know. It's interesting to see how kind of maybe the value... uh I think, was submitted at a pretty decent level. Mm-hmm. You know, 25% is not much. I think that you could make an argument for maybe um, having it be like that for uh, batteries and med kits, but mm. maybe doing something different for like cells and or something yeah Maybe something like that. But I think this is a potentially very powerful passive. It's a unique passive. And I think, We always say passives are the hardest Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. they have to be good enough to be felt, but they can't be so good Mm -hmm. that you just have this free ability with no cooldown that just dominates. So it's a very hard thing to do. And I think this is done very well by nature here.
0: I can't even imagine the in fights. Someone cracks somebody's armor, relays it to their teammate, and then meanwhile, their celestial's healing, and their teammate actually ends up with some shield, but the other team goes in after this teammate's head cracked, shoots somebody with shield, dies, liar. and just says, Liar, liar, yep. you idiot. <laughs> yeah,
1: this could break down team communication a lot. Really psychological warfare is it is. what it is. It's seriously bad. Uh, the tactical now, Repulsor Boost two charges. When activated, Celestial hol- holsters her weapon, boosts in an aim direction, 15 meters, and becomes invincible to all damage, negative effects for three seconds. Cooldown, 35 seconds per
0: charge. Very, very, very good is the first thing I'll say. I'll take the lead on this one.
1: An extreme mobility tactical. Mm-hmm. Especially giving it two charges. Yeah. Um, this is a Pretty extreme um, boost uh, ability. Being able to dash that long and also for some reason have invincibility and negate all slow effects Mm -hmm. for three seconds Mm -hmm. is extremely substantial.
0: I like a medic. And I like, they think bringing in another medic is something very possible for this game. I don't think we're ever going to actually see a medic though. That has an ability like this that can be so offensive and really fits. If you told me this tactical, I would tell you that's one of the most offensive characters in the game, pretty much yeah. straight up. And so I think figuring out the best way to create a medic, if you're trying to create a medic with mobility, essentially, that's going to be a tough challenge. But personally, Reason we like legend concepts is I would love to play this legend. (laughs) I would love to play this legend too.
1: And, you know, as we've said again and again, you know, harping on this horizon theory, you got to be a good legend in order to be in this Mm -hmm. game. If Mm -hmm. you're not a good legend, well, guess what? You have the worst win rate in the game. Like, that's pretty much just how it goes. Rampart and Rev. Like, Mm -hmm. that's crazy. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily all about power. It's also play style. Definitely. And people like mobility. And Mm so tactical like this, really, really strong. Definitely. Last but not least, of course, the ultimate armor up. When activated, Celestial gets a speed boost of 30% and a health boost of 150 HP, in addition to regular HP, while healing and reviving for a total of 35 seconds. Speed boost is active during the entire ability while the health boost is only active while healing or reviving. If normal fighting or any other activity occurs after healing, health boost disappears and can reactivate if Celestial is healing, reviving, and only if Armor Up is still active.
0: Okay, so I have full shields. Yes. Purple shields. So I'm running Mm -hmm. in with 200 health. I activate my ult. I hit the I go revive. Down first. You, okay. I go down first, <laughs> okay. then
1: you activate the ult.
0: Yes, you go down first, then I activate the ult. I get a thirty percent speed boost. A thirty percent speed boost of healing. Like I heal 30% faster, or am I running 30% faster? I
1: thought it was running. I thought that I go down, and you say, here I come, Henry, and then you pop the ult, you sprint over to me, and as soon as you start the revive, you become a tank.
0: So I'm reading it as Celestial gets a speed boost and a health boost of 150 HP while healing and reviving. So I think you potentially get... The 30% speed boost while you're hitting your bats was kind of like the thought maybe, which is really, really good potentially, but it's really that you're a tank once you hit the revive in a way. Yeah,
1: I think that is the core of it. Okay. I guess then I'm also confused on exactly how you would trigger it. Trigger the
0: speed and the health by hitting a bat or hit an X to revive somebody, I think.
1: And so if you hit a bat you just use your ultimate?
0: No, you hit you hit the ultimate okay. and then you go then you get into that healing. mode for whatever the cooldown mm-hmm. is and then while you're like maybe in a bloodhound kind of sense like while it is active you get those abilities that change durations of and speeds of things. Is my thought potentially? If
1: I think you're probably right and I actually think it's really cool. We like fast heals. Mm -hmm. Fast heals is really cool. It has a duration of 35 seconds. You know, that's, you know, a decent amount of time. You know, we like to think that most fights get wrapped up within 60 seconds. So having, you know, fast heals for more than half of that time is pretty good. I'd be very curious to see the use of becoming a tank Mm -hmm. while reviving someone. Um, It seems very interesting. You know, I'm accustomed to using a invincible bubble for 12 <laughs> seconds in order to get a heal off and do it a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder how this ultimate would compare to that tactical ability. It seems unique, you know, you're low profile. Mm-hmm. They'd have to shoot you. A grenade is really not going to do anything to you. No, you know, you're no. talking about 350 health. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a very interesting perspective on what a medic can be i like
0: that the ultimate is the healing ability mm -hmm. like while you're a medic it's not like your lifeline and every time you res somebody you're getting a bonus yeah it's the actual ultimate like everything goes to he double hockey stick and then you go into beast down you're like okay time to put on my nurse patch and get to work
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. And, you know, for a lot of people, they are upset, you know, that Lifeline can chain, revive Mm -hmm. people like this. Mm -hmm. Um, This is definitely not intended to be able to do that. You know, it's supposed to hopefully get the job done.
0: Thank you for the legend concept. This is a really fun one. Great lore, fun abilities. I don't think Henry and I have had to dive into an ability like that in a while. And we really like the complex nature behind some of these. So that was really cool. Next, let's go into Welcome to the Club.
1: Here we have a message from Miles, who entered this week. What's up, guys? Just joined the Discord and have been really enjoying the podcast on Spotify. Me and my bro are trying to get our club going. We have been playing casually since Season 0 and just recently got serious with Ranked. Looking for some good members to get together with. The club name is Second Breakfast, no A, Second
0: Breakfast Club. It'll be in the description.
1: Be in the description. Mm -hmm. You know, we love joining clubs and I just wanted to add that, you know, I like this segment Mm -hmm. and I love our Discord because if you connect with somebody through a club that we mention or on the Discord, you know that they're serious about Apex. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. they listen to the podcast. They're up to date on things. They know how to play smart. They have some experience. So I just feel like we offer a cool opportunity in our community to vet your random teammates in a cool way that looking for groups doesn't really accomplish, I Definitely. don't
0: think. Yeah, everybody's going to be using a G7. You know that for a fact.
1: Yeah, I hope They so. do.
0: <laughs> or they haven't gotten the message. I love it. Join the club. Have a good time. Grind some ranked. Now we're going to wrap it up now with some questions. Remember, submit a five-star review with your question to guarantee it gets answered on the show. We got four questions for you guys today first question coming from eli the great 12 you guys are great and i hope i can be on your podcast i'm an octane man with 499 kills and i hope to have a chance playing with you guys stay safe and have fun hope to see you guys up close and personal
1: well thank you eli um you know now you're kind of on the podcast mm-hmm. we do play with listeners occasionally uh you know we prioritize playing with patrons Um, But we also, uh, if we're in need of a third, we'll be reaching out to the Discord and people that are active on there. So join up there, check out those options, and maybe we can uh, play together soon. Definitely. Next question. Coming from Isaac, I have a request. So when I get killed, it shows me that a Pathfinder with 20,000 kills killed me. But when I kill someone, I have no idea what level or skill that person was. Did they have 3 kills or 3,000? Going back to your interview with Daniel Klein, he talked about utility function in the game as it relates to the satisfaction of gameplay. It seems to me that it is not very satisfying to the person killing or the person getting killed over and over by people with 20k kills. My point is, is there a way to see the profile of people you kill throughout the game or maybe after the game? I don't need a breakdown of damage dealt, but A simple click to see if that person I knocked was really good or actually trash. I know this is long, but hear me out. The only time I get this that satisfaction is if I knock someone and then I die. I view their squad and for a minute I see, oh, that guy I knocked had 20,000 kills. I feel a little better about myself after that. Sorry for the long review.
0: Thanks. No such thing as too long a review. That's a really interesting thought. The first thing I'll throw in before we maybe brainstorm new ideas is if you kill somebody and finish them, you can look at their box which will tell you their gamer tag and show you what badges they have and so you might see that 4K badge, that 20 kill badge and that I think is one way they try and you get that satisfaction for you along with the champion, you know, dying being announced if you killed those guys.
1: Totally. It it's a very like honest and good observation and mm-hmm. really cool that you picked on this fact that you know, the game designers are considering this and the different features they put in the game is that satisfaction factor. I can absolutely relate uh, to, you know, checking back after Mm -hmm, you get mm -hmm. killed and see, you know, who you knocked or what happened. And I definitely see what you're saying. Um, I think like Shay said, looking at the boxes is one way that you can do that. You know, to brainstorm just a tad on this idea, you know, it seems like if they were to grant this wish, And whenever you got a kill, you had a card flash, maybe Mm -hmm. smaller than, you know, a normal card. But if you had a card flash that showed somebody's profile, that might get a little out of hand. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you're getting that on knocks or getting that on the limbs, that could kind of maybe throw you off Mm -hmm. in the long run. It's hard to add a bunch of uh, profiles during the game you know the only reason you can see it after you die is because you don't have any responsibilities you Mm -hmm. can just look at badges and as much as I think that maybe they could do it in a way that wasn't distracting if they couldn't I don't know if there'd be a lot of reason to have it in the after game report just because it'd be hard to tell okay when and where was that exactly And you're not really going to feel the satisfaction if it was 10 minutes ago that you knocked that
0: person. I think it could be cool if there was a very in-depth after action report. Like things like a map that shows you where kills happened. Like maybe with some dots, kind of COD style. And even if you had the function of checking out little instant replays on each kill if you really wanted to. Like I think it would have to be a very in-depth feature for you to feel the satisfaction rather than just kind of after the game, seeing the cards of everybody that you killed.
1: Yeah, it's hard. You know, it's a BR, it's a long format. You don't have the same sort of feedback cycles mm-hmm. as respawn games. So it's a very good question, a very good observation. Don't have a, a quick, easy solution to it. I mm-hmm. think this is something that um, we might continue to struggle with or adapt to.
0: Next question coming from Jedward. Hi, guys. Love the pod, and I was wondering what you think Apex could do to boost Apex in popularity. Is there some change it can make? Keep up the good work.
1: Well, Jed, thank you for the review. We have a lot of thoughts on this. And to be frank, I think that the team at Apex is doing everything they can and they have a plan Mm -hmm. for this. Um, In an upcoming episode, we're going to kind of discuss how Apex is changing and why and who is going to be impacted by it. And a lot of those topics overlap to... How Apex is trying to sell itself to a wider audience. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the core of it. Some of the smaller things that we've discussed in the past, as how maybe Apex can boost their popularity, mm-hmm. is just spend more
0: money. Those advertising, working with streamers, those Twitch rival tournaments are really cool. Seeing all the best personalities playing each other, incentivizing people to play a couple games of apex that come from other games predominantly it's a big way to boost popularity for sure
1: yeah and the other thing to keep in mind is apex is very popular definitely so if you didn't know that already it just is mm-hmm. it's a you know top three game it's you know it's not necessarily top three but it's a top three in the battle royale genre mm-hmm. it's you know been now almost two years and it's still top charts for streaming content creation um People that have tried to take it out of that top three BR uh, place have crashed and burned. Mm -hmm. So it's a very uh, solid game, very popular game. In order to contest with Warzone and Fortnite and take the throne, well, those are kind of titans Mm -hmm. with big, Mm -hmm. big franchises and big, big teams. Apex is the underdog, but they're doing good work. Definitely.
0: Last question.
1: Coming from Henrik. Good quality podcast. This podcast is a very good listen, and it is relaxing to listen to. I was wondering if you could bring one more permanent member. Good job.
0: Okay, first thought. First thought. Henry and I started this just the two of us, and and we did think about should we have a third host. And really, what it, one it came down to was Henry and I have so many opinions; there wouldn't be time for a third person to share. True. Two, we live together, makes it very easy to record. The struggles of bringing in a third person remotely is a lot, and this is a time of COVID, and we don't have a lot of friends here in Portland that are big uh, Apex people that we would trust to have on as a third guest. And then the last reason I will give is that I really like the balance of having two hosts with one guest for our interviews. Three hosts plus one guest can be a bit overwhelming. If you listen to our Amosist episode, as fun as it was, I would not want to have that many people's voices on every time around, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I think we like the balance that we have right now. It kind of is just only complicates things in pretty much every single area, from mm-hmm. recording to editing to writing to all the responsibilities. Expenses. It's just it's <laughs> kind of harder uh, to have a third and we don't really have anybody. The advantage of having us is that we're both close. We have the exact same birthday and I think we're able to deliver such a high quality podcast because we spend every single day all week in order to build a weekly show. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about Apex every single day and talking about the podcast every day. And if we add it on a third, I don't think we keep that same sort of quality.
0: If you can't be on the basketball chat brainstorm sessions at the court oof i don't know if you can be on the show
1: you can't hang you just
0: can't (laughs) that wraps it up for today make sure to subscribe on apple pod give us a follow on spotify leave a five-star review with your question we'll answer on the next episode follow us on instagram and twitter at third party pod sub to our youtube channel third party podcast and stop by our weekly stream check out the discord via the link in the description thanks so much for listening to the third party podcast catch you guys next time peace hey now another squad coming in Whole squad down. Hey, brother,
1: not today. Maybe tomorrow.